0: Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1, we are uh, really in part 2 of, uh, from last week. This is a continuation in the text that we were in last week, Romans chapter 1. We're just uh, continuing with a few more verses, but it's all the same kind of message from the Apostle Paul, the same theme. Romans 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, And were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. And receiving in themselves the penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Father, we ask for your help today. As we look at your word, please help us to rightly interpret it. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal, to show us Christ's glory. God, I pray that you would make us effective ministers to our culture, our family, our friends, our country, our world. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24 starts with the word, therefore. Okay, Now that's a real clear tie-in that what Paul is about to say hangs on what he just said, okay? And so if I can remind you of last week's sermon, basically Paul begins in verse 18 saying, "...the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness of those who suppress the truth." Then he goes on to talk about what truth he's talking about, which is that God is glorious. He's talking about the truth about God, His invisible attributes, His power, His glory, His mercy, His might. And Paul says that that's been revealed to everyone in creation. Okay, so you have two levels of revelation. You walk outside and you see the sun, the moon, the stars, the solar system. You see, you see the human body. You see all this fantastic um, creation. And you know things about the Creator. And then there's special revelation, which all of you in this room have, or at least you will have here in just a minute. But that is, that is revelation from, God, from the Scriptures, in which God not only reveals His glory through nature, but He also reveals His glory through His Word. And so we who have the Bible, we know of God's great rescue plan, that God has sent His only Son to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, and then to die a substitutionary death on our behalf, In order that as we put our faith in him, we can be joined to Jesus. We can be joined to the Son of God so that our sin is placed upon him and his righteousness is put into our account. Now, here's what the Bible says. In all of that revelation, mankind has rejected God. Okay, so the key verse in last week's section, and will be the key verse in today's section, is verse 23. It tells us the root of sin. So when you think about sin, when you think about stealing or lying or adultery or whatever sin you think about, you have to go back and say, okay, but the root of that particular sin is found right here in verse 23. And verse 23 says this, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now last week we talked about what the word exchange means. We we know what that means. It means you don't want something, right? Right. You don't want it, and so you take it back and get something else. And so the root of all sin is simply this. God reveals himself. God reveals his glory. God reveals the gospel. And mankind says, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm not interested in God. I'm not interested in in the word of God and the truth of God. That's boring. I would rather have, and notice what he says here in verse 23, images resembling mortal man. I'd rather have me. In other words, it's a rejection of God in favor of ourselves and other created beings. It says in verse 23, images, birds, animals, reptiles, the creation. Okay, so that's the foundation of what we're going to look at. Now, today, Paul is giving us the implication. So what happens inside of a man, inside of a woman? What happens in people when they say habitually, God, I don't want you? I, I'm not interested in you. You're you, that. This is boring. I don't want your truth. I want my truth. What happens to a people when they do that? Three key for or one key phrase three times in this passage. Are you ready? Verse twenty six. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Okay. Verse twenty eight. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, and God gave them up to a debased mind. Verse um I missed one, actually. Oh, verse 24. <laughs> Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Okay, now three times, Paul says the implication here is that God gives people up to their sin. All right, so the word, the word gave up or give up means just that, to hand over, to deliver, to abandon. So essentially, God is saying, you don't want me. You want yourself. You want your own sinful desires. And so God allows mankind to follow that route. God, in His mercy, in His grace, in His patience, you know, we we say, God, I don't want you. I want something else. And God says, okay. And, and And He allows us to chase that. He allows us to run after that thing in His place, that idol that we've rejected Him in favor of. Okay, now, as that happens... What we'll see here in this passage is that sin begins to take its toll on the believer, okay? So so if I say, God, I don't want you, I don't want your glory, I don't want your way, I don't want your truth, I want Jason, I want my way, I want my truth, I'll worship what I want to worship, I'll worship my own sinful desires. As God gives way to that and allows me to have my own sinful desires, I begin to dig deeper and deeper into sin. I begin to be more vulnerable to the devil's temptation. Sin, when given time, always destroys. Man, that's just a great lesson to to keep in your mind. Sin, given time, always destroys, okay? Whatever sin it is. Okay, nobody ever has an angry, bitter heart and just harbors that anger and harbors that bitter... And for 10 years, they harbor it. And in 10 years, man, they're a better person than they were, you know? I mean, man, they're just great. You know, they're, they're, they're really, you know, good to their family. And they're just pleasant to be around. They got all kinds of joy. I mean, that just doesn't happen, right? I mean, we know when, when, you, when you harbor your sin, when you continue in your sin, sin corrupts. There's a great verse in Galatians, Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption is a word that means to go from better to worse, okay? It's a word that, that describes in the Greek language decaying food. I cleaned out my fridge this week and um, the stuff I I brought out of there was not as good as the stuff I put in there, Okay it There's something that happens to it, it goes from better to worse, and in the same way Paul is saying here that that when you travel down the road of your sin, it has a corrupting influence upon your life you know as we as we begin to Look at our world in view of Romans 1, what we've been learning in Romans 1. Okay, so we turn on the news and we find out in Ferguson there's, there's violence and, and, and there's rioting and there's uh, anger and there's hatred and there's murder and there's all this stuff, you know, in all these places. Okay, what is the root of that? What, 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 what is the root of the violence in our cities and the despair that plagues our communities? And I would make the case, it is right here. This is the root of all sin and misery. It is mankind saying, God, I'm not interested in you. I want something else. You know, break that down even further. Let's, let's take a small slice of what we see happening in our world. What, what's the problem with, 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 with families without dads? You know, we read everywhere. That's one of the big struggles in our, in our nation is families without dads. So what's the root of that, okay? Now, if you're looking at this from a, a sociological perspective, you might say, well, the root is education, you know? In kindergarten, we need to have a dad class, you know, and we need to teach them, you know, or, or maybe you say, well, the root of this is uh, information or maybe the root of this is, is a program. We need, we need a program to fix this. The Bible would say the root of that problem, like every other sin, is people have rejected God's plan in favor of their own plan. Men have rejected marriage and family and responsibility to care for others in favor of sexual immorality and that has produced what we see. And so what Paul is saying here, three times when he says God has gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up, he's saying God allows men to run full force into their sin. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. The word impurity is kind of a, uh, uh, an all-encompassing word for sexual morality, okay? And, and so the first thing Paul says here is God gave them up. Okay, In the rejection of God, God gives them up to sexual morality. Now, that might be a puzzle. You might be saying, well, whoa, you know, why, why would you say that they're rejecting God, rejecting his truth, rejecting his way would necessarily lead to sexual morality? Well, the case that Paul is making here is that when we run after our own passions, that will generally be the case. It will generally come bear fruit in sexual immorality. And so we're talking about pornography, fornication, sex outside of marriage, adultery, breaking your, 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 your vows. And, and we see this other places in the scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, uh, listen to this, verse three. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. Very interesting. You see the rest of it? Who do not know God. You see, Paul, Paul says basically a characteristic of, of someone who is rejecting God, a characteristic of someone who's saying, God, I don't want you. I don't want your goal. I'm not interested. This I want me. A characteristic of that lifestyle is sexual morality. If we can move into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I mean, this is kind of a long passage, but let me work through it with you real quick. It says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. So basically, Paul is quoting the Greeks here saying, hey, man, you know, you're thirsty, you drink water, you're hungry, you eat food. If you want to have sex, you have sex. It's just a a bodily desire. You know, there's there's nothing different about that. Okay, here's what Paul says. Here's what the Bible says in response to that. He says in verse 13, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Okay, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, you are created for God. Your body is created to bring glory to God. You are created to be an image bearer of God. Verse 14, God raised the Lord and will raise us up also. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, okay, and here's a verse we're going to look at here in just a minute. The two will become one flesh. Paul is quoting Genesis. He's, he's quoting the marriage verse, okay? So the body is for the Lord, okay? You're, you're meant to be joined to Jesus. You're meant to be connected to Christ. That His spirit is to dwell in your body. And then you're meant to, you, if, if you choose so, you're meant to marry someone of the opposite sex. So the two become one flesh. Verse 17, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. So Paul connects immorality over and over again to our relationship with God. Okay, that's that's the big picture here. Sexual sin is a rejection of God's plan. Now, the issue that we need to move into, just so we we make sure we cover this, because this is kind of the big issue in this passage, is... Next, Paul goes in verse 26, and he moves in verse 26 and 27 to give the particular example of homosexuality, okay? So verse 26, for, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Okay, so my question to you would be this. Why, why does Paul spotlight homosexuality? Okay, so he just mentioned sexual immorality. And then in, starting in verse 28, he's going to rapid fire 20 different sins. Just boom, 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 boom. Okay, 20 of them. But why does he pause here in verse 26 and 27 and give a long explanation about how God has given them up to the sin, particular sin of homosexuality? The reason I believe that the reason I think Paul did that is because homosexuality provides a vivid picture of what Paul is talking about up in verse 23, okay? So the, the clear teaching of this passage is that the root of sin is saying, God, I don't want you. I don't want your glory. I want me. Okay, that's verse 23, remember? And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling who? Mortal man. I, I don't want the creator. I want the creation, okay? I don't want you, God. I want me. Now, homosexuality is a vivid picture of that because it's essentially somebody saying, God, I don't want you. I don't want your plan. I don't want your truth. And I don't even want the person you created for me. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. I want me. I think that's why he uses it. It's just a vivid picture. It's like, wow, okay, I see how this all connects. All right, so homosexuality is basically saying, "God, I, I, again, like every sin, I don't want you. I don't want your plan. I don't want your plan for marriage. I don't want your plan for family. I don't want your design for sex. And I, do, I, I and I reject even the way in which you have created me." Matthew nineteen. I want to try to try to make this as clear as I can. Okay, so Matthew nineteen is is a passage in which um, the the disciples and the Pharisees are asking Jesus about divorce. Okay. And and their question is, hey, can I can I get a divorce for any reason? You know, if 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 the wife burns the the supper every night, she's a terrible cook. She's not good at laundry. She's not a very good cleaner. You know, she's gained a little weight. It, can, can I can I get rid of my wife for any reason? All right. And so in that, Jesus answers that question, but he answers that question by first going back to creation. Okay. So verse four. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, why does Jesus begin by a- answering the question, can I divorce my wife for any reason, by going back to creation? Well, let, let's, let's follow him, okay? So the first thing he says is, hey, don't you remember when God created you? He created you male and female. Why? Next verse, verse 5. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become One flesh. All right, follow Jesus' reasoning. God created you, male and female, for the purpose that you would come together, husband and wife, and become one flesh. Now look look at this, verse 6. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. All right, so now, now he adds, not only are you created male and female for the purpose of marriage, so that you would get married, and in that union, God would be present. Okay, so it's a supernatural union. Now, the next question, how is it a supernatural union? Well, that leads us to Ephesians 5, okay? So in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul is talking about a husband and his wife, and he's also talking about Christ and his people, Christ and the church. And notice that in these two images, he intertwines them, okay? He's basically saying the one is a picture of the other. Okay, so verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blameless. Is he talking about a husband and wife or Christ and the church? Both, right? I mean, he's he's weaving in and out. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives Loves loves their wives as he loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Husband and wife, Christ and the church. Verse 30, because we are members of one body. Okay, we're joined together. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the same verse that Jesus quoted, and the two will become one flesh. There's the marriage verse. And then in verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What you essentially have is this. You have have Jesus and Paul reminding us that God created us male and female, okay? But that, that is an image of something greater, okay? The something greater is Christ's relationship, his covenant relationship with his people. So essentially God is saying, my plan is for you to have a relationship with me. My plan is for you to have a covenant relationship with me. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to buy you. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. We're going to be one. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to give you my righteousness. Okay? That's the big picture. And then under that is a husband and a wife coming together as one flesh, forming a family as a picture of God's covenant union. Okay? So what you have, let me me say this again. You have Jesus' covenant union with his people. Under that, this is my family. It's a picture of us at Yellowstone National Park after we'd filled our bellies at the lodge and we're sitting out on the. It's the only one I could find this morning. Okay, so this is my family. All right, now my family is to be an image, a picture, right, of Jesus in the church. Now here's what Paul is saying. What happens when you scrap this? What happens when you say, I don't want a relationship with you, God? I don't want you. I don't want your covenant. I don't want to be one. I don't want your spirit inside of me. I don't want you to be my God. What Paul is showing us is that rejecting that affects this. You see, I can't reject that and it have no consequences on my life. So when I reject that, all of a sudden there's trickle-down consequences. There's trickle-down consequences for, for who I am as a person. And oftentimes, even the examples he's given in sexual morality. What's happening to this is if this, this represents marriage? What's happening to marriage in America? What's happening? It's 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 disintegrating. Is it not? Why is it disintegrating? Is it because we have more marriage? But we need more marriage books. just hadn't wrote the right book yet. I haven't wrote my it's it's so easy and it's impossible books for men and women. You know, I haven't. Is that why? We got more marriage books than they've ever had. You have more, right? and You can go to Barnes and Nobles and buy more marriage books right now than in the history of the world. What's the problem? The problem is when people reject God. when they say, God, I don't want you. I don't want your law. I don't want your truth. I don't want your plan. Let me ask you this. What if in my marriage... Here's, where am I at? There I am. There's Emma. What if in my marriage I said, God, you know, thanks for your opinion, but it's not worth squat to me. Let me tell you what I think. I think I ought to be able to pursue my own desires, wherever that leads me. So if, if, if that means, you know, that I find another gal, you know, that I'd like to spend some time with and have a relationship with, that's fine. Who are, who are you to tell me not? What happens? True? What happens when a culture of people say, God, I, I reject not only you, but I reject I reject the way you made me. I, I reject marriage. I, re, I reject family. That's what's happening here. God gave them up to these things. Now, the reason it's important for us to talk about these issues is because when you look at what's happening here, when you see the deterioration, when you see rampant sexual immorality, when you see homosexuality, when you see the deterioration of the family, when you see, when you see all these things, it is a sign, again, not, not that God has put his judgment on us, but rather that we are receiving, what he says in verse 27, the due penalty for their error. In other words, this is the clear sign that sin is corrupting, that it's taking its toll on us as a people and a society. What you find in our society at present is a current culture whose stories and movies and books and media and educational system are all telling us that God is wrong about sexual morality, that God is wrong about maleness and femaleness. Okay, Now, now what happens when, when, when that happens? Well, Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You know what the word woe means? Woe means, man, we're in trouble. Wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Imagine a world where from a young age you're told that sin is not sin, but rather sin is good and beautiful and right. That's the case in our world today. Imagine, imagine a world where you might be told from a young age that certain people are just bent towards sin and you shouldn't fight against that. I mean, can you imagine lining up a bunch of junior high boys and saying, Hey, guys, I was watching watching you during gym class, how you looked at the ladies. And you know what? I can tell you all are all bent toward adultery. You know, and so, you know, sorry about that. But that, you know, you're just made that way. You're created that way. There's nothing you can do to, to change that. And you just need to go with that. What we're told in our society today is go with your heart. That's horrible advice, by the way. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? My heart in in general is wrong. You know, whenever anything gets hard, you know what my heart tells me? Quit, right? That's what my heart tells me. Whenever it gets tough, man, bail out. You know what my heart tells me when someone offends me or hurts me? Get even, I mean, in almost every way, I cannot trust my heart. Okay, but 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 Romans 1 is telling us that the root of sin is people who reject God, say, God, I don't want you, I don't want your truth, I don't want your standard, I don't want your word. I'm going to go with me. I'm going to go with my heart. Is it true, I have to answer this question, is it true that people have, some people Have a natural inclination towards certain sins. Absolutely. Yes, that is true. We are born with a sin nature. Have you ever heard that? that? That's a very key theological phrase. We're born sinners, okay? So you don't start out perfect, you know, and your mom and dad just messed you up, okay? I know I know everybody likes to blame mom and dad. That's not actually true, okay? You start out bent the wrong way, you start out. Out of alignment. Okay? If you're a car and you let go of the wheel, you go in the ditch. And, and so it, it is true that we are bent the wrong way. And so if you're here today and you've had sexual thoughts or tendencies toward the same gender. Or if you're married, maybe toward you know adultery. And you're wondering, what's wrong with me? I have an answer for that. What's wrong with you is you are a sinner just like everybody else in this room. And just like the people in this room, you have an inclination towards sin. It may not be the same sin. I bet there's people in this room who have a natural inclination toward greed. You know, you're never satisfied. You always want what other people have. You've been that way ever since you can remember. You've always been the kid that had to wear the nicest thing and had to have the nicest toy and had to have, you know, and then you've just never been satisfied. You're discontent and you have a natural inclination toward greed. Okay, here's the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ can set you free from that, okay? You don't have to throw up your hands and say, that's just who I am, you know? There are people in this room who have a natural tendency toward anger, my, my two oldest girls were in the 830 service and they were sitting right up here in front. So I used them. I said, you know, I got one daughter who when she was three, someone would take her toy and she would smile and say, I'm glad you get a play with that. You know, I have another daughter, two years apart, raised in the same house. If you'd have took her toy at three, she'd have grabbed the, the hardest blunt object she could and she'd have pummeled you until somebody pulled her off. Okay. Why? Did we mess up one of them? No, we have a natural inclination towards sin. And, and and to say, to say, because I I have a natural inclination towards sin, that I should just free fall to it. No. Sin destroys. And when you reject the answer to sin, which is, which is the glory of God, the work of Jesus Christ, when you say, I don't want that, it's not interesting to me, I'm going to pursue all this other stuff. When you say that, you unhook the brake line and you, you plummet with nothing stopping you into sin. No law, no truth, no glory of God, you accelerate into sin. And that's exactly what we see happening in Romans 1. Now, Paul moves on and lists a whole bunch of other things, doesn't he? Verse 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. I mean, he lists a bunch of other sins. But what I, what I need you to see is that every one of those sins comes back to verse 23. Okay, so notice in verse um, 29, he says they're full of envy. Where does envy come from? We just talked about it. It comes from verse 23, from exchanging the glory of God. What, what does the Bible say about God? He's everything you need. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? On earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 63, three, your steadfast love is better than life. So my lips will praise you. The Beatitudes, Jesus said, he he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, that guy will be satisfied. God is saying, I'm what you need, people. My glory is what you need. You need to seek me, pursue me, listen to me. When we, when we reject that and say, no, God, you're not what I need. I'm going to fill my heart with other things. Where does that lead? Envy, right? Now I'm consumed with my own desires. Now I look around and say, I want what that guy has. I, I, want, I want what that person has. I want, I want his wife and his car and his job and his house and his money and his power. And, and, and I'm going after that. Verse 30, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Where, where does that come from? Where does disobedience come from to parents? Well, it comes from verse 23. It comes from people. God is a father, right? Another one of these images, okay? God is a heavenly father. He's given us an earthly father and an earthly mother to teach us authority, to teach us that there is one who will take care of us, who knows what's best for us. Why did God give us parents? Is it to afflict us? No. You know why do they say, "Hey, don't don't play in the street, dude"? Why do they say that? It's because they hate you. No, they're trying to protect you. But what what is what happens when verse twenty three happens? When we exchange God, God, I don't want you. I don't want your authority. I don't want you. I don't want your rules. I don't want your law. I don't want your truth. I don't trust you. Have your. I, I want to be my own authority. Well, now you have a whole generations of children who say, "No one is my boss. I am my boss." You see the free fall? You see the acceleration of sin? Now, we're so short on time. I'm, I want to skip right down to verse 32, okay? Because I don't want to miss this. This this frightens me. It terrifies me. I, I look on, I'm not a big Facebook poster. I'm a big Facebook reader though because I want to see what people are thinking. I want to see what their, their, what their mindset is. And when I look at Facebook, it, 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 it frightens me terribly. Verse 32, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, that that's, that's, that's a free fall, okay? Where do people start out in their rebellion against God? You start out by rebelling against God, and then you feel what? Guilty. And you try to hide it, right? That's where everybody starts out. You know, the the first lie you tell, you're embarrassed about it. You don't want everybody to know you're a liar, okay? The first time a, a young man looks at pornography, he doesn't go out and tell his parents. I mean, he's ashamed of that. He's guilty, okay? But in the free fall of sin, where do we eventually lead? We eventually end up not only doing those things, but approving, patting on the back. Hey, this is good. You ought to do this. Let me tell you why that terrifies me. Matthew 18, verse 6. By the way, this is in Matthew. It's in Mark. It's in Luke. The same words. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Those are hard words. And what are they saying? They're saying it's a big deal to cause somebody to sin. It's a big deal to encourage somebody to sin. It's a big deal. You know, it's, it's one thing for you to sin and you to be you're responsible for your own life. You're going to pay for that one way or another, either on, on the cross of Christ or in hell. But it's another thing for you to come alongside someone and give them a gentle little push down the hill. And what we see in our culture right now, it's unprecedented. What we see in our culture is a celebration of sexual morality. It is an encouragement, a, a parading, a delighting in, a, a, an advertising. A, a, and just, you know, no matter where you stand, let, let me just let me assume that none of you are even Christians, okay? Here's, here's the deal for me. Man, I'm hesitant to tell anybody what they ought to do with their life that would have huge implications. There are guys all the time that come in my office and they're struggling with whether they should quit their job to go to another one. I hardly ever say, yes, quit, go. Hardly ever. You know why? I'm afraid I don't know all the, the, the situation. That's what I'm afraid of. Like, what if, what if the picture I'm getting is not the whole picture, you know? And, and here I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mess with somebody's livelihood. I've been in I've been Lincoln, this church, 18 years. I've done countless, countless I, I, I couldn't, couldn't even number them, marriage counseling sessions. Never once have I told somebody to get a divorce. Let me tell you why. I have told ladies, hey, if this guy is beating you up, if he's beating up your children, you need to get to the shelter. That's different than divorce. I'm just saying you need to get safe, okay? But I don't tell people to get divorced. Even, even if they've got the worst marriage I've ever seen in my life. You know why? Because I don't want to mess with their life. You know, I mean, I'm not confident enough to know that, man, okay, I know all of God's will and I've researched all the, and I know the whole situation. And and I can tell you that that God says that, man, I, I, I tremble. I tremble to do that. And yet in our culture today, you have hordes of people. Many of them claim to be Christians who are basically saying, I know better than this. I reject what Paul says. I reject what Jesus says. I reject what Moses says. I reject the scriptures. And I'm willing to come alongside and push people in a direction, gambling with their eternity. You guys see how huge that is? To be one who who gives approval to sin. I mean, man is is there not is there not a thought in the back of your mind? Maybe you're not maybe you're not engaged in sexual morality. Maybe you're, you have no homosexual tendencies. Maybe you're happily married. But you've got a friend, and and because you would rather you would rather not hurt their feelings, you're willing to come alongside them and push them in the free fall. I would just ask you: Is there not? One doubt in your mind. Maybe Jesus is right. What if if Romans 1 is right? If it is, my, the eternal consequences of that. So, we live in a culture that's in a free fall. What do we do? It's helpful for me to say what I don't do. Number one, I don't give approval. But number two, I also don't write poorly written angry tirades on Facebook. Um, I know I've mentioned this before. It's just not helpful, folks. Stop doing it. You know, first of all, your anger is not appealing to anybody, okay? When you get all hot and bothered up and you're as mad as a hornet and... Nobody Nobody says, man, I want to be like that. You know? That's awesome. Give me some more. Woo! Nobody. Nobody. You know what's winsome? Jesus. If you're going to write on there, write about the glory of Jesus. Write about his ability to satisfy your soul. Write, write about it his forgiveness of sins and his righteousness imputed. Show him something awesome. Number three, what's not the answer? What's not the answer is for the church to hypocritically rail against one form of sexual morality and give a free pass to the others. I am afraid, church. Not not Lincoln, but just in, in the United States church. I, man, I... What scares me to death is that we've undermined our own voice to speak by, by railing against one and then giving a free pass to the others. Especially when we, we don't have a whole lot of scriptural evidence to do that. You know, First Corinthians six, nine and 10, it lumps them all together. So what's the answer? Again. Uh, guys, I, I just think I, think, I think it's this simple. The root of all sin is verse 23. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, reptiles. The root of sin is, is that mankind has said, I don't want God's glory. I want something else. Okay, so our job as a church, it's this simple for me. We gotta show them the glory of Jesus. We got to show that when we sing in here about Christ's redemption and forgiveness of sins, we need to sing in a way that shows, man, this is real. I've been delivered. When we live out our marriages, no matter how hard of a deal you got, not everybody got an easy deal, you know. You might have married the cranky one. That, that's just real. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. it, it some, some are just hard. They're just hard. And, and in whatever, and however you live that out, living that out as a picture of Jesus' covenant faithfulness to his church. We got to show them Jesus. Do we have to speak truth? Yes, and I've tried to do a good job of that today. I, and, and I want you to try to do a good job of just, when you have opportunity, when you have people that want to listen, yeah, do a good job. But make sure that, that they see the glory of Jesus, because if they don't see the glory of Jesus, this doesn't unravel. They've got to see that. They've got to come to the point where they're like, you've, we've all got to come to the point where are like, Jesus, I want you. You satisfy my soul. You fill me up. It's you that I need. Father, I ask for your help, God. I pray that you would give us great grace. Father, help us to be people that stand for truth. Help us to be people that show the glory, the greatness, the beauty, the salvation, the redemption of our Savior, Jesus. Father, I pray that we'd never be found guilty of approving of sin that leads to death and hell and wrath. I'd give us grace in Jesus name